Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. In this episode, I speak with Amanda by phone about her daughter, Emmy, who has a rare condition called Pfeiffer Syndrome. Emmy's parents created a Facebook page for her, and I invite you to visit it. Just search for Emerson the Unicorn. It's a delightful page maintained by her family. I learned a lot from Amanda, and I know you will too. So Amanda, thank you very much for taking the time to do an Orange Socks with me today. We're talking about your daughter, Emmy, who has Pfeiffer Syndrome. I've never heard of Pfeiffer Syndrome. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Not many people have heard of Pfeiffer Syndrome. It's about a one in 100,000 birth syndrome. It has multiple issues that are involved. The most obvious one, the, the biggest thing, is the craniosynostosis, which is early skull fusion. Her sutures in her skull began fusing while she was in the womb, and that can cause multiple things. Like for her, she has pretty significant proptosis, which is bulging of the eyes due to shallow orbital sockets, and her skull is oddly shaped because of the way that it already began to fuse, and that can cause multiple neurological issues because of delayed brain growth. For Pfeiffer's, the very specific markers are like wide thumbs, wide toes, the craniosynostosis. Gosh, there's a lot of things that go along with it. So when did you find out that Emmy had this syndrome? Oddly enough, we found out at our 20-week anatomy scan. Um, I'm an older mother, so we had had all the DNA testing for all of the different things that they test for, and everything had come back completely normal, no issues whatsoever with her. So we kind of went in there thinking it was just going to be a quick anatomy scan to make sure everything is she was growing fine, and we already knew she was a girl because of the DNA testing. And we found out at that 20-week scan that her skull had already begun to fuse. It was a really tense moment watching technician go over and over and over the same areas, and it's like we just knew immediately something was not right. When did you actually then get the definitive diagnosis that it was Pfeiffer syndrome? You know, we didn't get that until after she was born. We sought out a visit with the craniofacial team at our local children's hospital, and the doctor there looked over the scans that we had and the 3D imaging that they had done at the scan before that. And he said, based on what he could see, he believed it was Pfeiffer syndrome, but there's multiple syndromes that kind of fall into that same thing, like Cruzon, Apert syndrome. There's lots of different syndromes in that same genetic mutation. And he believed it was Pfeiffer syndrome. He offered us the genetic testing for that, but because it would have taken an amniocentesis, we just opted out. We figured we would find out when she got here, you know, get the definitive diagnosis. Did your doctor give you any advice at that time when you found out that there was an anomaly with the baby? Yeah, she did, and it was incredible. I will start with saying that our initial doctor that we saw after the scan was not helpful. She didn't know exactly what it all meant. She knew that there was a pretty severe skull fusion. Basically, at that appointment, presented us with our termination options. She didn't give us any other information. We are the kind of people that we want to have a second opinion. We want to make sure we know what we're doing before we make big decisions of any sort. That's just who we are. So we went and we saw this top craniofacial doctor 
He gave us lots of stories of kids that he sees with the various syndromes that it could be, including Cypher. And he gave us very realistically that, you know, it's going to be a long road. She's going to require lots of surgeries, lots of interventions. It could be a long journey for her. But that the kids that he sees are happy and healthy. Lots of them go on to college. I mean, there's a wide variety of outcomes for these kids. And he gave us very straightforward information about it and gave us a lot of hope. That's good. So your first physician then essentially just only offered you termination options as opposed to raising this child. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I never saw her again. (laughs) And it's nothing political about it. It's just that's not the kind of thing that you want to hear at this kind of appointment. And we understand where she was coming from. But then we saw another obstetrician besides the doctor that helped us with the diagnosis and he was very wonderful in you know agreeing with going forward with the pregnancy and taking care of me and her and keeping a very close eye on her so that we could make those interventions with her delivery i mean he was incredible we immediately fired the first one that's awesome and emmy is how old now So she's getting ready to be five months old. Okay. Just a few more days. And during this five months, what has been some of the hardest things that you and your family or you and your husband have had to deal with? Wow, that is a loaded question. Emmy was born in July and she spent the first four months exactly of her life in the hospital. That's pretty difficult for us as a family. Uh, We have a six-year-old as well. It was very difficult for him during that time because, you know, our family was really disjointed. One of us had to be home with him. One of us had to be at the hospital with her. Lots of on-the-fly medical decisions that were very difficult for her. I mean, we found, we knew going into it some of the things that could happen. We, of course, had high hopes that it wouldn't be very difficult, but it's turned out to be pretty difficult. We've had to make some tough choices as far as how to treat her. She's got a tracheostomy and she had to have a malrotation in her bowels fixed. And there's just been a lot of things that we were prepared for, but we weren't prepared for. Hmm. Tell me about some of the joys. Oh, she's incredible. <laughs> we had to take her two weeks before 40 weeks because we had noticed in some of the scans that her hydrocephalus was becoming very, very bad. And they wanted to go ahead and get her out and do interventions with the shunt and everything to hopefully help her brain development. And every day is so incredible with her because we are seeing so many amazing signs from her. She's developing. We never knew. All the doctors would tell us, you know, they never thought she'd be able to breathe on her own, and she did. We still had to eventually get a tracheostomy, but for a while, she was able to do these things that they kept telling us she's not going to be able to do, and she keeps doing that every day. That's neat. What has been her impact on your family as well as your extended family and friends? Well, unfortunately, we're kind of in a situation where we don't have our family close by. We're transplants to our area, so most of our family is about 2,000 miles away. It's difficult because we don't have a lot of family support out here. So for us, it is difficult because she requires a lot of care with her different little quirks. And so it's part of my son who kind of gets pushed to the side a little bit right now. And we try to explain to him it won't be forever because eventually she'll be bigger and she won't require as much attention as she does now, but it's rough on him. And it's pretty rough on us because of her tracheostomy, things like that. To to leave the house is 
quite a production. And it requires two adults to be in the car to go places with her. So we don't get out much these days. Interesting. So if I were to come to you just having received a diagnosis that my child had Pfeiffer syndrome in utero, let's say, what advice would you give me? Be flexible. <laughs> if you want to do this, you can. You have to be flexible. You have to kind of roll with the punches. It is not going to be easy. It doesn't matter what severity, because, you know, Pfeiffer syndrome runs a pretty wide range of symptoms and severity. Even at the least severe, your child's going to have multiple skull surgeries over the course of their lifetime, and that's hard to see that. I mean, it is very difficult. But these kids can be, and often are, they are incredible, but they can be, you know, cognitively and physically, they can do everything. They're just typical kids. They just don't look typical. So what would be like your daily routine with her? What type of things do you have to do with her trach and those sorts of things? Like I said, she's pretty much a typical baby in a lot of ways. So we don't do a whole lot of different things, just baby things. But for the trach, that is a little bit more complex. She also is ventilator dependent when she's asleep because she has pretty significant central apnea because of her skull is pressing on her brainstem. And that's one of those things that surgery will fix eventually, but she does have a ventilator, so we have to keep her on bed overnight when she's deep asleep. Every day, we do have to do trait care where we you know, clean around her neck and make sure everything is nice and clean and dry and she's not getting lashes or anything around the trach. But it was one of those things where we thought it was going to be so difficult and so complex once we got home and we were so overwhelmed with how we were gonna do everything. And it turns out it's kind of easy. You know, once you get into the routine of it, it's not bad. <laughs> the trach is actually pretty minimal. It requires suction and the cleaning, but really other than that, it's not hard. Oh, that's great. As you're thinking about your experience, what you've gone through, maybe some last words that you'd like to tell folks that will be listening to your story? I would say from our perspective, our daughter is developing very well. And a lot of these kids that look very significantly different, especially in the craniofacial ways, are typical kids. And inside, they're just kids. And they want to be treated just like any other kid would. It's okay for you to ask questions about them because she does look strikingly different from other babies right now. I know that from my perspective, I love answering questions about Emmy because I think she is so incredible. You know, we just had an instance at the hospital where a maybe five-year-old child looked at her and kind of laughed and said, her eyes are funny. And, you know, it was that moment where I had a decision to make, you know, do I say something and scold her or do I educate her? Do I just walk away and cry? And I found out that, you know, talking about it with the little girl, it helped me feel better. I was very happy that her mom got involved in the conversation and involved my daughter in the conversation. And that's what we want. We want people to be interested in Emmy. We want people to be kind to her, but we don't mind answering questions and talking about her. And hopefully that will lead to her being included more when she's older. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. 
follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram, and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.